Let's talk some sports in the Ozone. The Ozone is on. Talk Radio 96.7, and it's brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie Ocean Sands Coach Joe tonight. He's off on some exotic Pacific Island, surrounded by beautiful ladies and sipping on a Mai Tai. So he won't be with us tonight, but we got plenty to talk about. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Well, a very surprising thing happened in Tampa. Bruce Arians, who had won the Super Bowl just two years ago for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their head coach, has decided that he's going to be allowed, he's going to kick himself upstairs, and he's going to allow his defensive coordinator, the 58-year-old Todd Bowles, to be the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, you know, Todd Bowles has a 24-40 and record as a head coach. He was the Jets' head coach in 2015 to 2018. He did have a 10-6 and record during that tenure, but they did not make the playoffs that year, and they went downhill after that. I think I was in his first year. So it remains to be seen. You know, a lot of times when you get a defensive-minded coach, that doesn't sit well with the quarterback or the offensive team. Now, will he invoke his defensive mindset on the offense of the Bucs? Um, you got a guy named Tom Brady at quarterback, so – you kind of want to let him do what he wants to do because he's proven that he can do it. If you got an opinion on that, give me a call, 682-1430. I'd love to hear what you have to say, 682-1430. We also, we've got a great lineup for you tonight. We're going to have Willie Horton with us, the former Detroit Tigers legend. And then uh, later in the show, we're going to have with us Greg Pryor, who was a national champion at Florida Southern College and he also played baseball in professional leagues for, for 16 years. 16 years as a pro. Greg Pryor is going to be on with us at the bottom of the hour. So we've got a lot to look forward to tonight. And, of course, we are curing hunger one person at a time here on the Ozone. And at some point tonight, we're going to have a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. That will go to our sports quiz winner. And the questions are not usually that hard, so... Get your dialing fingers ready because it won't be too long before we'll be giving away that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. So as um, Todd Bowles moves up to head coach of the Buccaneers, Larry Foote and Casey Rogers will be the co-defensive coordinators for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Todd Bowles was also the interim head coach of the Miami Dolphins back in 2011, and I think he won two games as the interim head coach back then, if memory serves correctly. But give us a call, 682-1430. We're talking sports, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. On this date back in 1973, I remember this well, Ken Norton broke Muhammad Ali's jaw and won a split decision over Ali in a fight, a 12-round fight in San Diego, California. Yeah, that was a big upset. Ken Norton was one of those guys that, his boxing style just seemed to give Ali a lot of trouble. And um, he I think they fought three times. I think Ali won twice, and Ken Norton won that first fight. But 
Give us a call, 682-1430. We're going to go ahead. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to have Willie Horton with us. If you want to talk Tigers, you know the number. So you're listening to Ronnie O in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Ed Jalmendinger, driver of the Richard Petty Motorsports, number 43 Ford. You're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Hey, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie Ocean back in the Ozone. And we are distinctly pleased to have with us tonight one of the all-time greats of the Detroit Tigers and uh, one of the all-time greats ever in Major League Baseball, Mr. Willie Horton. Willie, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O. Well, thank you. Nice being on the program. You guys, excuse my voice. I'm a little hoarse right now. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. You're a tough guy. We really oh. appreciate it. You know, I didn't realize this. I knew you hit a lot of home runs, 325 home runs, but you were the sixth all-time leading right-handed hitter in American League history. Harmon Killebrew, Jimmy Fox, Al Kaline, Rocky Calavito, and Joe DiMaggio are the only people ahead of you. Yes. Did you know that? No, somebody told me that before. That's something I never kept up with stats. I just go out there and try to perform, uh, you know, for the man upstairs, good Lord, and do what I can do, do my best for the fans. You know, one of the things you told me that I thought was um, maybe not unique, but certainly very interesting, was uh, I asked you who were some of the toughest pitchers you faced, and um, you said that your dad had told you something that you never forgot. Would you share that with our audience? Well, my dad always told me, never get where you like to face one guy and you like to face the other one, because respect in all pitchers because they couldn't pitch. They wouldn't be in the big league. And so what it does, it taught me through my career, I end up having a book, two books on all the pitchers I face. And uh, it's because the game is more more than just swinging a bat. you got to say for the W and adjust to how the game go. Well, what did pitchers, how did they try to pitch you? Was there a specific way that they tried well, to get you out? Well, different guys came at me different, different times, different ways. Um, I shut my eyes and think about Cash Fishana. He pitched me and Miller played in and on my butt. Fergus <laughs> Jenkins. Fergus Jenkins was the cheese man, sinker ball, sinker ball, and make balls look like strike, and they were actually balls. But you have to learn to adjust to that to be uh, in the big leg. You know, that battle's box, that line means move around, not stick and in the same spot all the time. Willie, let's go back to the 1968 World Series. Um, you guys were facing the St. Louis Cardinals, and they had a guy named Bob Gibson, one of the all-time greats as well. Mm-hmm. He beat you guys and Denny McLean 4 nothing in the first game. Tigers come back and win the second game. Then the Cardinals win two straight. You're down three games to one, and you know you're going to have to face Gibson again in that in that series and but you guys never gave up. Talk a little bit about what the mood was like in the clubhouse. Well, the mood well, started here in Lakeland at Tigertown. Majority, about eighty-five percent of us, ninety percent of us, came through Tigertown with one to three years going to the big league. We kind of came up and uh, and uh, kind of raised up together into the big league. That, uh, but we never we learned from from our coaches from Tigertown on up coach you had through the leg that the game is played to the last track and we always 
thought that uh, we we in every game to the last track. So, and I think that year, in six eight we twenty six game we came back from the seven in and on. I think, but uh, we had some great players. We had some great players like not, not say Willie Orton, LK Line, and Thorne Cash. You had guys like great hitters like Gates Brown and guys like that. I call un, unsung heroes that. That's how you win World Series. Not the big home run. Sometimes that button getting the ball over, that's how you win games. Well, you know, I, I think it was safe to say that maybe defense wasn't what you were known for, certainly mm-hmm. those prodigious home runs you hit. But in game five, you made a tremendous play. You, you're facing elimination. You got a guy named Lou Brock on second base. Julian Javier hits a single out to left field and takes, Take it up from there. What happened out on that play? Well, well, make it, but made the play, make it lowlich. I was in the right position within ten feet where the ball he he got a hit off. Make he's going to hit within ten feet either way towards me because learn your pitching staff. And I tell all our fillers, you said, when I learn your pitching staff, it'll teach you how to play your position. And uh, lowlich, he always been in the mid mid part of the game. Uh, for some reason, he relaxed, maybe the fourth, fifth. But going up, uh, fifth in and on, he makes it feel small again. So I was right in the right position at the right time. But what really made that play, that uh, we're doing our own work. A scouts report, Luke Brock, you know, he brought Bates uh, uh, still in back in the game. Uh, and uh, we picked up from the All-Star break on. Uh, he, he used to drill in from third base to from first base to third base. And same thing he did at second. And I'll feel them as it lobbed the ball in. But it's a combination of Willie Orton, Bill Freehand, uh, Don Work. I call Coyote at the cutoff, man. <laughs> we don't, and we know. And Billy know that Brock broke his stride and let the ball come through. But we, it, was, it was two plays in one. We had to keep the guy off second. But it's Billy seeing that he break his stride, let the ball come through. That's what happened. Got doing our homework. So it was more than just a good throw. You guys had scouted and you you had actually exactly. discovered something. Exactly. We seen that he picked up bad habits from also break. And yeah. uh his coach that should have been helping him or the guy on back should have been helping Luke Brock. Well that's Luke Brock running. And you don't need no help. <laughs> so, so, it, so it paid off for us. You know, um, in your 1963 debut, you were a pinch hitter, and you hit a home run off of a Hall of Fame guy named Robin Roberts. What do you remember Robin, about that home run? I never remember. I got the ball. I took it and got him signed it. <laughs> and I, still, and I still got his baseball. <laughs> Oh, man. Did you ever get together with him when he was the coach over at the University oh, of South oh, yeah. Florida? Oh, yeah. I know Robbie from back at home. Um, my dad taught me about Robert Robert. Before I got in baseball, he was one of the best uh, guys that kept this game going and good people in the game. You can't get no fine, uh, fine a human being as Robert Robert. And uh, I met him uh, right after I signed. Then I met him again and faced him, you know, in Baltimore. I didn't realize that was who that was after I faced him. <laughs> and, uh, but but then after that, 
through the years, you kind of get to know each other and uh, well, well, respect me, man. Oh man, well, you know, one of the things that I've always admired about you is not only that you are a great player, but you're a great ambassador for the game of baseball, and I think that's why the Tigers have kept you on in a capacity. Tell the audience what you're doing today for the Detroit Tigers organization. Well, I'm very fortunate to be back. I'm special assistant to the exec vice president and general manager of baseball operation and, and access to the organization. And I'm very fortunate to be in a position I'm in that uh, Mr. Illich and his family brought me back and got me back involved in baseball, something that uh, I got away from for a while. But uh, but now for the last 20 years, being back is one of the enjoyable part of my life that I spent with Al K-Line that we lost last year. Uh, but, uh, but, but doing that, uh, I, I go around and I get involved. When I was eight, I used to go out and take ground balls. I do a <laughs> lot of things. But the last few years, and I've uh, been down in my back and my legs because I haven't stayed away from that. But, uh, you know, it's a game that I tell people it's a duck game, but it's a kid's game. you got to learn it keep the little boy in you. And I still, as a, what I'm doing now with the Tigers, special assistant to the gentleman and the vice president of general operation, uh, I got the little boy in me, and I give him advice. <laughs> and uh, that's, how, that's how you but – the, but the fans is the most important thing about baseball. And I tell young players, if you learn how to play the game through the fans, you have a long career. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, Al Kaline, and uh, I, I didn't know that you were a doctor as well. In 1970, Al collided with Jim Northrup, and um, he was t- actually turning blue and had swallowed his tongue, and you recognized that. Talk a little bit about that and what happened there. Well, it was a long time ago, but uh, Jimmy went run at the ball, and I seen Al. It's something I learned when I was a young kid boxing at first, first day at about getting your mouthpiece, if you have to swallow your mouthpiece, you got to depress your chest and your mouth will expand. But you got to go and use your fingers and your hand as a bridge to get it back out. And that's what I did for K-Line. It's a, I, I, I'm so proud of that. I look at my thumb now. I got the best autograph right now on my hand, Al K-Line, teeth marks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was just going to ask you that because someone in that situation, oftentimes they do bite down on your fingers or your thumb. <laughs> oh, yeah. They thought I was the one was hurt because I, you know, I let it all out after he came down on my hand. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's awesome. Well, you actually grew up um, almost in the shadows of the stadium there, Brick Stadium, didn't you? Yeah, I was raised up in the Jeffrey Project. That's about about 10 blocks away from old Tiger Stadium, playing strikeout on the wall as a young man, slipping in the ballpark. And uh, I remember one time slipping in the ballpark, Calavita with Cleveland. I thought he was secure, then he got me he got me and my buddy a little part-time job down at Tiger Stadium, working uh, with the Visit Clubhouse. Oh, man. Well, now, your first home run there was not in the Detroit Tigers uniform, was it? No, it was my first home run was uh, all city game Northwest we beat Cass Tech High School in all city game, and uh, 
I remember I never forget that home run. It's, I hit the home run. What Reggie hit the tower in the All Star game. I hit the same tower as a kid, a sixteen year old kid. Really? It, yeah, wasn't that yeah. tower? Wasn't that tower in right field? Yeah, right center. And you, as a right-handed hitter, hit that tower. Exactly. And I'm trying to tell me to run. My goodness. Well, if, it, if it didn't hit the tower, it would have gone out, wouldn't it? I mean, totally out of the hit, ballpark. Well, hit hit the bottom, the facing of it. Wow. And, uh, and that you know something about the old Tiger Stadium. I never got credit hitting the ball out of the ballpark, but I hit the left field. I hit the light towers. I bet about fifteen, twenty times. <laughs> if it didn't hit the tower, it was went out the park, and they they never gave you credit for that. Uh, that that's what I remember about Willie Horton is when Willie Horton hit a home run, there wasn't any doubt about it. It was one of those where if it was hit to left field, the left fielder just looked over his shoulder and watched it sail out of the ballpark because you you didn't hit many cheap ones. Well, I tell you something, it's just like Frank Harbor. I remember he hit a home run off Mickey Lotus. When he hit it, I run towards the infield, see where it was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, oh. that's, that's when they had that back spin on the ball. Oh, my gosh. Well, when they brought the designated hitter in, um, that was a big help to you, wasn't it, Dunn? I know in 1979 you were with the Mariners, and you were voted the American League's outstanding designated hitter. You hit 279 with 29 home runs and 106 RBIs. What was it like to play with the Mariners back then? Well, you know, I was I, I loved that time playing with the Mariners. People didn't realize I came out of retirement. I came out of retirement from managing from Open uh, Venezuela. Uh, the first team ever won the Caribbean World Series, we won it. And people Luke called the Mariners and said, What you mean you wanna stay retired? And I went to spring training with the Mariners and uh one of the best things happened in my life, I got that little boy back in me. And I'm around the young players like Rufus Jones, Danny Myers. And as you pay back, give it back to the game that gave you so much. My goodness. Well, now you said you managed down in um, oh, Venezuela. Yeah. Oh, they <laughs> flew me back over about six years ago for the one of the hero in their country. They put me there. I'm in a Hall of Fame over there. It's a wow. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Who, who were some? Did you have some major leaguers on your team down Ooh, there? Oh, I had. Oh, half my team was Mitchell Page, Ronnie Scott. I had uh, Mike Norris. He left us. Went on with Billy Martin the next year in Oakland. Yeah. When twenty came twenty three and six that year, and I mean we had a great team. Tim Blackwell, the catcher, went up with Boston. I think American and Spanish player. I bet we had good sixty percent of our players went to the big league in that following year. Wow, unbelievable. But it was a magic year for me and a, a year that I, I think is about a lot the way I'm living my life today because that country gave me so much as a person that I had some health problems. I was managing and coaching and uh, taking over the team from Cookie Rawhouse. And I thank Cookie every day for giving me the opportunity because it helped me more than just get back in baseball. It helped me improve my health and where I live today. Wow. Willie, thank you so much for your time. I know you don't feel good thank tonight, you. and we are deeply appreciative of the time you've we'll, given us. We'll do it again some other time. I feel good. We All have right. a good, real fun time. Oh, I, I tell you what, I, I have had you a great time. Keep my, t- keep my number and give me a call through the summer. We'll do it again.
Well, thank you, Willie. I'll look forward to doing that, and God bless you. Thank you so much for your thank time. You. Thank you. All right, that's the great Willie Horton, not only a great baseball player, but a great gentleman. And uh, you're listening to Ronnie O in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Talk Radio 96.7. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O back in the Ozone. And we have the distinct pleasure of having with us former major leaguer, former Florida Southern College All-American, Mr. Greg Pryor. Greg, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O. Hey, Ronnie O. It's great to be here and talk to people in Polk County down there and maybe uh, on my Zoom on my computer. I'm hopefully talking to the whole baseball world because we have a lot to cover and it's nice to be with you. Oh, man, real pleasure to have you. Um, Greg, you spent your entire career proving people that doubted your abilities wrong. And that started with Florida Southern College. They really didn't want to give you a scholarship. Can you tell that story? Well, my dad put uh, boxing gloves on my brother and I when we were young. We had uh, (laughs) six kids in our family. Now, we can't go there because i got to set this up a little bit and uh, let the people know a little bit about uh, how I got. Let's talk just real quickly, if you don't mind. Let me tell people how I met you because I think it's a cool story. Okay. You know? Because these people need to get to know both of us better, and I really want to talk about this because uh, this is—I'm going to bring it up to the point. But you came up to me right at the end of when I talked on Florida Southern's campus last Thursday night from six to seven around there, uh, and then I'm, I'm getting ready to sell books and shake hands with the baseball team and the, and the fraternity brothers and other people in the room in Annie Piper Chapel, and you came up to me like a bossy salesman and said, hey, Pryor, uh, you're good enough to be on my show. Pryor, you're, you're good enough to be on my show. And, and can I, would you sign this release in, in case, you know, so I'll be indemnified if you come on the show. I'm thinking, who is this guy? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> People need to laugh tonight, so let's make them laugh. So, so that was last that was last Thursday night I met you, and here we are talking about why I was in Lakeland last week, because it's going to mean something to a lot of people listening, hopefully. And then if I come on your show again, at least these people that are listening right now might have a better idea of what's going to happen when they come on the show, because <laughs> I cannot cover my whole life on a few minutes on this show, because I'm in Kansas City right now. I'm talking to you from Overland Park, Kansas. And um, and my wife wants to go out and eat in thirty minutes. So let's. Get <laughs> <laughs> but I, I couldn't hesitate to tell him what a, what an impact you had on me because honestly, this is the first time I've ever done this. I've never done a live a radio show in my life. Uh, and who, who you know, I know a lot of people haven't, but you know, people want to talk ba- about baseball, and and we will in a second. But I've never done a live uh, radio show like this, and then also broadcast it on uh, Zoom. Because, as you know, you guys don't broadcast on the Internet, and there's a lot of people that would like to be entertained tonight with baseball stories. And next time we do this, we need to get it out so that people can watch us and listen to us at the same time, if you don't mind. We'll exactly do that. No no doubt about it. Let's go back to the Florida Southern College and your scholarship there. Yeah, Yeah, I had to to get that. Anyway, uh, out of high school in Orlando, Florida, uh, my dad uh, was trying to help me get into college to play baseball because I had just graduated. 
And my older brother, Jeff, was a Florida Southern, got the first four-year scholarship in the school's history back in 1966. First four-year scholarship in Florida Southern. Now they've got several hundred, probably. I don't know how many they have, but they got a bunch, I think. Uh, you know, he, he was the first four-year scholarship. Well, he went 8-0. So my dad went to the coach Smeltzley, who was there, the head baseball coach, and said, uh, give Greg a scholarship or Jeff's coming out of your school. <laughs> now, mind you, how Smeltzley is in the Florida State Sunshine Hall of Fame. He's in the Florida Southern Hall of Fame. He's in my Hall of Fame. Without him, I wouldn't be talking to you. He, he, he was the greatest coach uh, I think I've ever had. If you take everything into consideration, Hal Smeltzley was the greatest coach I ever had. Well, my dad unfortunately had to bribe him to take me okay so i get to florida southern on a scholarship that i thought they wanted me and they really didn't they didn't want me it was only 250 bucks ronnie oh come on back in 71 or 67 that was a lot of money to me and i said hey dad we're going to get the rest of the money to pay florida southern he goes greg we're going to borrow it i said from where he goes you're going to sign for it you're going to take a student loan out I said, who's going to pay it back? My dad says, you are. I said, when? I said, when? He goes, when do you graduate from Florida Southern and start making some money? Ronnie, Ronnie, not only did you ask for this, not only, and I've never thought of it like this before, not only did I go to college on a bribe to Lakeland, Florida, to the, to right there, to beautiful Lakeland, Florida, I, had, I was in debt big time when I showed up on the campus, you know. So anyway, I played two years there. Um, and then uh, I was uh, really, if you look at the Florida Southern stats on their website, and I got to give honor to Florida Southern because without them, we wouldn't be talking tonight, too. They're the ones that invited me down there to talk last Thursday night. Uh, Dr. Dunham uh, in the history department and went to high school with my brother at Evanson high school, Evans high school in Orlando. And then Chris Dory, who's in charge of the alumni relations for the sports department down there. He, he, he got me down there and I had a great time talking. And, and fortunately you showed up, you showed up and which was really cool. How did you find out that I was going to be in Lakeland last Thursday? Well, you know, um, I read it in the paper, but Andy McGaffigan and I are good friends. And uh, Andy had mentioned it and uh, mentioned that you had a book and he said, Hey, you know, Greg probably would want to come on your show. And I said, well, I'd love to have him. And so yeah. I came down, and I'm not saying this just because you're on the air with me. Your book is extremely well written. It's easy reading, and you do a great job of telling stories. And one of the stories you told is that you are unique, and you're the only major league player who played in demolition disco demolition night and the George Brett Pine Tar game. So... Talk a little bit about, first of all, when you were with the White Sox, one of the great promoters in the history of baseball, Bill Veck, he used to say Veck rhymes with wreck, and he came up through this local DJ, hated disco music. And so he said, all right, what we're going to do, and he'd been fired from a radio station because they were going to change over to the format of disco. Well, he really had a burn in his saddle about that. So he decided... All right, he went to Mr. Vec and he said, all right, listen, let's do this. Let's have people bring their disco records to the game <laughs> in this doubleheader in between games. We're going to blow up those disco records. Take it from there as to what happened. <laughs> well, well, okay, we're going to fast forward uh, to me scuffling at Florida Southern to playing a disco game. That's a good stretch, Ron. <laughs> You're awesome, man. And you tell good stories, too. But anyway, yeah. 
uh, before the game, we're, uh, we're thinking about coming and going to work. And uh, we had a doubleheader against the Tigers there in Comiskey Park. Comiskey Park, yeah, Comiskey Park. I played in Comiskey Park. I was so proud to play in that stadium because Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig stood at the same home plate in the 1933 World Series. When I got to the big leagues with the White Sox, I knew that the ghosts of the great players from the past had stood at the same home plate, right? Well, this night was probably going to make them roll over in their grace because here's, well, here's what happened. I go to shortstop to start the first game about 4:35, and you know there was you know a third of the stadium was full. You could put 44,000 screaming fans in there. You know it used to intimidate me, but I got used to it because you have to to play in the big leagues. You can't get intimidated by anybody watching or anybody in the stands. But this night was totally different, unfortunately. So I got the shortstop, and they filled up, and they filled up, and it, by the seventh inning of the first game, they were almost packed. Because in the between a games of that uh, between a games of that doubleheader, they were going to load up all these disco records that you just talked about. They're going to put them in center field in the biggest pile they could get, and unfortunately, they're going to try to blow up disco music, which I happen to like. <laughs> I kind of like Saturday Night Fever. And I did too. Night Fever, you know. You can't take those away from me. They they weren't going to blow up disco record music for me, but. There's so many young people listening to this rock and roll stuff on a, on a WLUP and in Chicago. They showed up for their first baseball game in their whole life with signs that said Disco S-U-C-K-S all over the place, <laughs> not even caring what was going on in the field. They, they were there for the rock show, which was to blow up the disco music. So at the end of the first, end of the first game, which we lost, um, I'm running into the clubhouse and, and I knew and, uh, during the last part of that first game, the aura in that stadium was not baseball. They weren't even, they didn't even know if we scored runs, you know, these fans. <laughs> they, they weren't even watching the game. And I don't know if they had done anything before they got there, but they were acting kind of crazy. Anyway, <laughs> I go in my locker the, and to, my, to get undressed and showered, and I'm going to get dressed for the second game, which was going to happen in 30 minutes. I'm in there getting dressed because I'm going to play shortstop again. I was so proud that I went from playing second base to Florida Southern to be able to play shortstop in a big league. So here I am playing a doubleheader at shortstop in Kaminsky Park, and I'm getting undressed. And I looked up, and the starting pitcher's walking right toward me in the clubhouse. And I said, Kenny, crazy? I said, he, I said you're starting, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. I, used to, I had to come off the field. I said, why? He says, they're riding out there. You need to go look. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, I could have just sat there in my seat, right? So I pulled, grabbed my pants, I pulled my pants on, I'm sprinting to see what's going on on the field. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, getting near the end of the runway down to the dugout, and our, our equipment manager, uh, Mike Morris, had a bat over his head, and he was getting ready to beat up a gang of these <laughs> rock and rollers that were trying to take over our clubhouse. They, they had come into our dugout, took everything out of the dugout, they dug up home plate, the pitcher's mound. They had the batting cage out. They were they, It was mayhem in Comiskey Park. The police couldn't stop them. You're talking. <laughs> you're talking ten to, there, are, there are pictures on the Internet. Like people can go look. Just punch in disco demolition and go have fun if you want. Well, I was right in the middle of it as an entertainer, and it wasn't fun that night because he – these guys that were trying to break into our clubhouse, uh, they, they just about got beat up by Mike Morris and his bat. <laughs> he, he slammed he slammed the wooden thing shut down when they got him out of there. We were prisoners for like an hour or so, or maybe more, uh, outside our clubhouse. We heard the mounted police with horses coming by. The Chicago police was coming by on horses. They, they, what are they going to do? It, 
they, they could have got rid of him with tear gas. But by that time, though, by the time they had enough reinforcements there to get him off the field, the field was unplayable. We had to, we had to forfeit the second game to the Tigers that night because he couldn't <laughs> play on the field. And in the first, for the first time, first time and the only time in the history of baseball, which I don't, I, maybe I should be in the Hall of Fame for this, um, I, I played in a disco demolition game. And now <laughs> people, are, people are talking about it uh, in, in 2022 like it was yesterday. Greg, we have Bob from Lakeland would like to ask you a question. Bob, welcome yeah. to the Ozone. You're on with Greg Pryor and Ronnie Ocean. Hey, Ronnie. How you doing? Fantastic. Good. Fantastic. Hey, I don't want to get nothing personal there, Greg, or anything about your family, but you were talking about how you're going to pay for that scholarship. I tell you what, your brother, and, and I was down and been here for years, your brother sold me his, his, a set of, my first set of golf clubs when I got down to Florida. And he said to me, I'll, I'm a tall guy like your brother. And he sent me, he said, I'll even add an inch and a half shaft onto them clubs for you. You know? And that suddenly got me to buy those clubs. And them things were about, well, let's put it this way. I'm not a golfer anymore. <laughs> but, and he does say that when I talk to him, he does, does he handle you pretty well on the golf course? Are you much of yeah, a golfer funny. anymore? That's funny I, you're saying I, that. We played, we, we played Friday at Cleveland Heights. And then uh, we went back to Orlando on Saturday and played up there at uh, Royal St. Cloud. So, no, he, he's got more yeah. golf clubs uh, in, in, his, uh, in his house than most people, let me tell you. Yeah, he does. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I heard some other guy named John. John Larger, I think, or something like that. Yeah, John Larger. John Larger, right? Yeah. Hey, how about that? Man, right. In that small, uh, do you have, do you, small world. Do you, have, do, you have, do you have a baseball question, by the way? You want to talk golf? Well, <laughs> I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. <laughs> So it's, hard, it's hard for me to talk to Kansas City Royals. Okay, okay. Let me let me ask you a question. Should Pete Go Rose ahead. be in the Hall of Fame? Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, oh every no doubt. Yep, 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 yep. Ronnie, Ronnie, what do you vote? What do you vote, Ronnie? I vote no. Holy cow! I, I, I say a life a lifetime ban is a lifetime ban. Uh-oh. Yeah, you guys, you, you guys you guys work it out. I'm gonna sit up here in Kansas and listen to you guys work it out. Okay. <laughs> Bobby okay, Mayer, you thank you, you, thank you for calling in. Um, before we let you go, Greg, can can you? We've got about one minute left. Can you talk about you and the Pine Tar game, where George Brett hit what he thought was a home run off of Rich Gossage, one of the. You still there, Greg? Oh, okay. All right. Well. We, um, we lost Greg Pryor. We've had a little bit of a problem there, a little technological problem. But um, our crack staff is working on it as we speak. And um, we will see if we can't get that taken care of. And um, we'll have that taken care of just momentarily. But it's been a great pleasure. We've had Willie Horton on with us. We've had Greg Pryor on. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Greg um, – that Greg did is that 16 years he fought people that didn't think that he could play baseball at the level of not only college but in the major leagues. He spent several years in the minors, and when he actually um, he uh, actually spent some time in the minors when he came up. All right, we got Greg back. Greg, I'm sorry, we had a little technological problem. I was talking too much anyway. Uh, no, 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 that's okay. Um, take us back to the Pine Tar game. George Brett hits what 
he believes is a home run off of Rich Gossage. Take it from there. Well, I was in the bullpen for the first time in my career in Yankee Stadium. Uh, we were in the ninth inning of um, the uh, game with uh, the Yankees. I was in the bullpen, and I had walked through the monuments to get out to left field to go in the bullpen. And, um, uh, you know, it was kind of strange, but it was kind of a nice diversion because, you know, you, you're in the dugout every game, every game, every game your whole life. And then all of a sudden the manager again says, go to the bullpen. I, I saw George's home run from the bullpen. I was out there warming up. Don Hood, who was a left-handed pitcher, he was beating me up with balls in the dirt. I, I couldn't wait to get out of the bullpen. I never wanted to be in the bullpen. I was I was too good to be in the bullpen. My hands were made for violins, not, not for, like, iron, iron uh, lifting weights or anything. Anyway, uh, so George hits the home run. They had the scrum and home plate. And all, all of a sudden, I see the home plate umpire raise his right hand up, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they're not calling him out. There's no way they're going to call George out. Because he had too much planter on the bat. It was did like you realize crazy. that's what it was? Well, I did because I had had I've been touched by it in my career. I in the minor leagues, you know, you touch by about everything. But anyway, I was touched by a, a planter on the bat uh, situation. So it, it's the only thing that I knew as a logical player, uh, you know, knowing that it wasn't cork because they could, how can they check for cork? It wasn't broken, uh, and I just knew it was planter. Yeah. So uh, when we walked in uh, to the um, dugout, I. I was carrying my catcher's glove for the last time. And then um, I go in the dugout, and George is sitting there getting ready to get his glove and, um, and, and uh, go into the clubhouse. And he, I wasn't, he wasn't in the mood to talk to me, you know, so I didn't say anything <laughs> to him. So we go into the clubhouse, and he was right, his locker was right next to mine. He was number five. I was number four. And uh, that's how the clubhouse guy in New York set, set, set him up. So I, I was trying to get in on my locker, as it says in the book, and there was like so many people, so many reporters around George's locker to talk to him to find out what he's thought about being called out in, in the most crucial spot of a major league game in, in Yankee Stadium uh, to, 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 to go down in defeat. So after he got done telling people uh, basically what I just told you, uh, his feelings, you know, um, uh, I, he, about 30 minutes later, after all the reporters peeled off, I went over there to his locker and you know, I've been around him long enough to know that, you know, you, if he's in a bad mood, you just don't talk to him and you Greg, try to get him Greg, in a Greg, unfortunately, mood, you know? we're, we're up against the clock. Tell yeah. people how they can get your book, The Day oh. the Yankees Made Me Shave. How can people get that book? Okay. Uh, I wrote the book uh, for, for my grandkids, and there's 27 stories about my career, and you're welcome to go get it. And if you use the word MOCS, M-O-C-S, I'll ship it for free. Write, write that code word down, MOCS, M-O-C-S. Got to be some uh, great uh, Florida Southern fans out there. Use Mox. I'll ship it for free. It'll save you nine bucks. Go to GregoryPrior.com. GregoryPrior.com. Place your order. I'll uh, sign my name in the front of it, and you'll be able to enjoy 27 stories. About It costs you about a dollar a piece to get my stories, and it'll be worth it. And You'll be able to share this book with all your baseball friends. So thanks for letting me have uh, let me share that with people. And, and, and also, uh, my wife says, Greg, if you don't talk about our uh, nutritional company, uh, I'm going to be upset with you. So real quick, real quick. My, my company's name that I really work hard for is uh, LifePriority.com. Uh, go to LifePriority.com and... People can see what I do for a living right now. It's a health and nutrition company, lifepriority.com. Thanks, Ronnie Ellis. Greg, thank you. We'll have you back on another time. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. That's the great Greg Pryor. You're listening to Ronnie O in the Ozone. Coach Joe is here now. We'll be back with a sports quiz in just a minute. Hey, y'all. This is Mike Pouncey, former Lakeland Dreadnought and Florida Gator. You listen to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. <laughs> 
Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I talked too long, so we've only got about a minute and a half left. So here you go for $30 to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. Who was the first boxer to beat Ali? Was it Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, or Larry Holmes? Or who is the Bucks' new head coach? 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And we will hang around a little while after the show, so you can call in to 682-1430, and there you go. So, <clears throat> you know, of course, that they're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. They've got 40 strategically located television sets. You can watch your favorite sporting event and take advantage of their drink and meal specials every night of the week. So, Coach Joe and I go out there frequently, and you might just see us out there. And uh, Coach Joe only charges $10 for autographs. Mine are free, and mine are probably overpriced at that point. But we're going to be back next week. If you think this show is good, just wait till next week. As the Gators used to say, wait till next year, wait till next week.